let's talk about insulin. So as we know, insulin is a hormone that promotes the storage of the body's fuels. Now, an easier way that I like to think of this is insulin is a key, right? So insulin is a key that floats around in your bloodstream and then it unlocks the cells. And then once the cells are unlocked, glucose can move into those cells and help the cells do what it is that they need to do, right? Um, so for example, when glucose moves into our muscles, we get energy, things like that. The other thing that uh, insulin does is it helps our body um, store, so it, it, it helps with the, um, the synthesis of glycogen. So what that means is it helps our body create glucose stores in the form of glycogen and stores them away in our liver so that it's available to us when we need it in times that either we have low blood sugar or in times of stress or fight or flight. So remember, your blood sugar increases during times of stress, during times of fight or flight, right? So the other thing that insulin does, um, besides allowing sugar to get into those cells, is it also helps to promote glycogen storage in the liver. Okay, so now let's talk about insulin here, <laughs> or let's continue talking about insulin. So I'm just going to kind of talk about this like in order of the way your pharmacology book has it, just so that if you're kind of following along and want to take notes, you can. So our indications for insulin are the treatment of type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Now, a type 1 diabetic is always going to require insulin. They are always going to be an insulin-dependent diabetic, right? A type 2 diabetic, insulin is kind of the, you know, it's our go-to when diet, exercise, and oral um, anti-diabetic medications aren't working. So when the person isn't responding to changes in diet, the addition of exercise, and the, um, you know, and any oral medications like glipizide or metformin, anything like that, if they're still resistant at that point, then we introduce insulin as a um, treatment to uh, manage their hyperglycemia. So, sorry, I'm scrolling down here. Um, we have different pharmaco pharmacokinetics for insulin because there are several different types of insulin. So you have everything from your rapid to your long acting and the pharmacokinetics of those um, different types are going to vary just because what they do to make or to say, well, to make this insulin is a rapid acting versus this one is a long acting is they do the addition of these um, little, I mean, we don't want to get too technical here, but they add these chains, right? Because all of this is now made by, um, you know, recomb recomb recumbent, I think I just said that word wrong, uh, DNA. So what they do is they add these chains that either make it so your body breaks it down right away, or it takes a little longer to break it down when you get those long acting insulins. So why do we have different types of um, or I should say different speeds, I guess, of insulin? Well, because it kind of helps to provide a more, um, I don't know, 
more, I'm going to say comprehensive, um, you know, way to manage blood sugar. So you might give your rapid actings, um, you know, when somebody is eating, things like that. But then you may give your more longer actings to provide control overnight to avoid that morning hyperglycemia. Um, so a lot of times people will require, um, you know, two types of insulin to just kind of help manage and provide more of like a basal rate, if you will, of insulin for overall better glucose management. So not uncommon at all to have people on, you know, several different types of insulin. You just have to be very, very careful when you are giving somebody, um, you know, I mean, giving somebody insulin in general, but certainly when you're giving somebody insulin who takes two different types a lot of times the dosages on the longer acting ones, it's a lot more units. So if you, you know, made a medication error and somebody was supposed to get 10 units of Lantus, but you gave 10 units of regular, or I'm sorry, regular, of uh, uh, Lispro or, you know, one of the, the rapids, um, you could really, really drop that person. So a lot of times in facilities, insulin has to be double checked by a second RN. Um, so just keep, keep that in mind. So let's talk for just a second about those different, um, different types, the different categories of insulin. So your rapid actings, you have a couple different types of those. You have Lispro or Humalog, um, Aspart, and uh, Glulison, which I've really only heard of the first, or I mean, I've only given the first two, the, um, excuse me, the Novolog and the Humalog. Um, but again, I mean, that, or I don't mean to say again, you know, I always say again, but that doesn't mean that the other, <laughs> the other one doesn't exist. I just don't have personal, personal experience with it. Um, one of the things that those three different insulins, the Lispro, the Aspar, and the Glulison, I'm not sure I'm saying that correctly. One of the things they have in common with the onset is the longest um, duration of their onset is 15 minutes. So that's just kind of how I would, you know, try to remember those ones. Your Lispro is 10 to 15 and the other two are 5 to 15, but they do have that 15 minutes in common. Um, your peak, very similar with this one. Uh, Lispro peaks within around an hour and um, the uh, Aspart peaks within 40 to 50 minutes. And then the, um, that third one, the glulosine, peaks anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes. So with that one, I would say pretty safe to kind of clock it in your, your memory that rapid actings tend to peak at around one hour. Um, so what that means is we would need to monitor for hypoglycemia around an hour after administration. So we, we gave the example, if uh, you gave somebody this rapid acting insulin to help cover a meal, but then that person didn't actually eat, we would be in danger of that person dropping, um, you know, in danger of them becoming hypoglycemic. And other things can lead to that too, not just skipped meals, but you know, I mean, if somebody, um, let's say somebody took their dose of insulin and then they went to the gym and they worked out, we know that while you're working out, you're going to get that spike of, you know, that kind of release of glycogen, right? That release of, of glucose into your, into your bloodstream so that it's available for your muscles to use and all of that. But then what happens is after you work out, your body is more sensitive to the insulin, right? So if you take insulin and then you immediately go work out, 
yes, you have that little spike, but then you have the risk of becoming hypoglycemic. So we would want to make sure that people are monitoring their sugar more closely, uh, especially if it's kind of a new workout regimen or maybe if they're switching to something that's kind of more high intensity. And we would encourage that person to have a snack of complex carbohydrates before they worked out. So that's our peak about an hour after for rapid acting. The duration, anywhere from two to four hours on those. Um, and this works fast, right? It's rapid acting. So um, we just kind of, again, have to have to keep that in mind. Uh, the other thing to just kind of keep in mind with that uh, when we think about the duration is this is the other reason why we do want to get complex carbohydrates added if somebody has um, a hypoglycemic event after. If we give somebody like a simple sugar, so for example, like, you know, if we're thinking about the 15-15 rule and somebody's blood sugar really, really drops and we give them that uh, orange juice, they are going to get that increase in their blood sugar. But then what's going to happen is that that uh, that insulin lasts, you know, that duration is two to four hours. And the little bit of sugar that's in that orange juice is not going to outlast that two to four hour duration. So we start with that simple sugar, we get their blood sugar up quickly, but then we need to get them some protein and we need to get them some complex carbohydrates too. All right, our short acting insulin, otherwise known as regular insulin, has some other names, Humulin R, Novolin R. Um, this one, the onset is anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes, and its peak is two to three hours. So where our peak with rapid is one hour, our peak with short acting is two to three hours, and our duration is four to six hours. Um, so keep in mind, regular insulin is the only insulin that can be given through an IV. So this one might be given through a pump, um, might be, uh, you know, uh, an intravenous um, injection, you know, in an emergency situation um, can also be given intramuscularly in an emergency situation. But, you know, for most of our insulins, um, with the exception of the regular insulin, it's going to be a subcutaneous uh, injection. So our regular, uh, you know, same thing as we talked about before, as far as, you know, exercising and things like that, it's just that our onset, our peak, and our duration are slightly different, right? So it's just a little bit, it, it kind of hangs out just a little bit longer. Next, excuse me, is our intermediate acting. So this is our NPH is intermediate. Um, I'm trying to think the way that I would maybe remember that. So this is a silly thing, but like intermediate is kind of a long word. And when you think about NPH, what it stands for is, <laughs> I don't know why I was like, here, try this, it'll be easy. But now I'm already regretting my decision. So NPH stands for neutral, protamine, I got those two words. But then the last one, Hagedorn, Hagedorn, I don't know. So that's kind of a long word or, you know, a long medication name. So neutral protamine hagedorn is long, like intermediate is long. So maybe that's how I would try to help <laughs> help remind myself um, uh, which the intermediates are, is it's a long, long word for kind of a longly named medication. <laughs> there you go. Have fun with that. Um, the uh, additional brands of that are Humulin, Humulin N. So the N is, you know, like NPH. Um, and then uh, 
going back for a second, sorry not to confuse anybody, anyone, but the Humulin R for regular, so that's helpful too, right? So Humulin R is regular, Humulin N is NPH. Um, with this one, your uh, NPH, two to four hours, um, your Humulin N, three to four hours. So again, you've kind of got that, that four hour um, onset in common. So sorry, I was referring to the onset when I said two to four hours and three to four hours. So that's the onset of these, these types of insulins. Our peaks are four to 12 hours. So you can see why on this intermediate acting, that might be one that people kind of take at night to kind of help prevent that morning hyperglycemia and also to kind of provide a basal rate of insulin. So the duration of our intermediate is anywhere from 16 to 20 hours. Um, finally, or not finally, but yeah, I'm going to say finally because I'm not going to even talk about that inhaled insulin at all. So our very long acting insulins, um, Lantus or Glargine, maybe Glargine, Glargine, I always say Gine, but I just call it Lantus because I know how to say Lantus. Um, with this one, this is our very long acting and, uh, it's onset, you know, kind of one hour, but the, the thing that is nice about this type of insulin, if you will, is that it doesn't really have a peak. It is just continuous. So this is a perfect insulin used as a basal dose. So this is the insulin I give my kitty cats because, you know, I don't poke them and monitor their blood sugar. So this is a, just a continuous acting insulin without a peak. So we don't have, I don't want to say there's no risk because there's certainly still a risk for hypoglycemia, but there's not going to be that key like, oh my gosh, in one hour I need to check for hypoglycemia. Um, so with this one, it is going to be really looking for symptoms of hypoglycemia. But our duration of this one, anywhere from, you know, 24 to 36 hours. So that is our categories of insulin. Let's talk about a few more things with insulin though. So let's talk about our contraindications. Now, there's really not any major contraindications for insulin. This is a natural hormone that is produced and absolutely needed by our bodies. Um, there did used to be, so back in the day, they actually made insulin from either pigs or cows. So there was higher incidence of allergies back then, but now it is um, made, you know, in labs and stuff like that. So because we've taken out the bovine and the porcine and all that, we have less, less, uh, um, less allergies related to this medication. That doesn't mean that you won't still sometimes get some, um, you know, site of injection reactions and, and things like that, but things like that. But I'll tell you, um, I've given a lot of insulin over the years and I really have never had any issues with people being allergic to insulin. Not to say that it doesn't happen, but I do think it is extremely rare, uh, that it does happen. Um, some other, I mean, so, so let's just, we'll, we'll talk about that for a second, the injection site. So um, we do want to make sure that we are, in, that not only we as nurses are rotating those uh, injection sites, but when we're providing teaching to our patients, um, that we are also encouraging them to rotate injection sites. And remember that the best way to make sure our patient knows how to provide themselves with insulin is to have them uh, provide us a, a um, return demonstration, right? So let's see, what else do I want to talk about? I want to, there are some drug-drug interactions. Um, 
And a lot of times the drug-drug interactions are more to do with the fact that they could decrease blood sugar. So you just would have to more closely uh, monitor, you know, the person's blood sugar while they're taking these drugs. Um, you know, some adjustments m might need to be made to their insulin. Um, so there are certain... Uh, certain things that decrease blood sugar. So your MAOIs, which are a lot of times, I believe, I actually don't know a ton about them, but I believe they're mostly um, psych meds. So those ones can decrease uh, blood sugar, as can your um, beta blockers. So that is the one that you do need to be kind of careful about because additionally, beta blockers can actually block the signs and symptoms of hypoglycemia. So one of the things, you know, that we've mentioned a few times in class is beta blockers, which are used to reduce blood pressure, are also oftentimes, you know, propanolol, things like that are used to help with anxiety because it blocks your body's kind of fight or flight. So for example, if you have somebody who is super, super nervous to get up and give a speech in front of someone, in front of someone, <laughs> maybe let's, let's make this more realistic in front of a room full of people. Um, what you would do is uh, maybe have a prescription for a propanolol. So what that does, they take their propanolol, they give their speech and they can do so without their heart beating out of their chest, without sweating, without all of that. So it kind of blocks all of those um, sympathetic, sympathetic responses that the body wants to do because it wants to fly the heck out of there, right? So the problem with this though, when we mix beta blockers and insulin, the body's ability to warn you that you're hypoglycemic may be kind of shut off by that beta blocker. So just have to be extra careful about monitoring for signs of hypo, or I'm sorry, monitoring for hypoglycemia and also providing your patient with education that, you know, hey, you're on insulin, you're on this other medication, the other medication, the beta blocker may prevent you from being able to feel hypoglycemic. So you got to look for these other ways to tell, um, you know, so maybe it's that hunger first, maybe it's a little bit of the irritability or fatigue, all those things, but it's not necessarily going to be the shakiness, the tachycardia, the increased respirations, like what you would see on somebody who is not on a beta blocker. Okay. I'm trying to think what else I want to say about insulin. Um, just some other kind of nursing considerations with that. Um, it, you know, giving injectable insulin is the treatment of choice for anybody who is pregnant or lactating. Um, so if you had somebody who was previously on an oral anti-diabetic medication, they might be changed to, ooh, I just made so many sounds, changed to insulin um, during pregnancy and throughout lactation, just because we aren't worried about that crossing, uh, you know, crossing through the placenta and getting to the baby like we would be some of the, the oral medication or crossing into um, to breast milk. The other things, you know, a lot of our nursing considerations for insulin is really just nursing considerations for managing care for people with diabetes. So we do wanna, you know, be making, making sure that we're thorough about doing skin checks and also paying attention, you know, if any of the injection sites look like they're not so happy. Uh, we absolutely wanna monitor glucose levels. We'd wanna look for trends too. 
We also want to monitor the person's exercise amount and to see if adjustments need to be made to, um, to insulin as a result of that. And then when we think about appropriate lab values, there's a few things we're looking at, right? We're looking at the hemoglobin A1C um, with, you know, the goal being less than seven for our diabetic patients. And we are also just, you know, kind of wanting to look at glucose trends, like I already mentioned, but also looking at kidney and liver health. So they might be looking at um, uh, labs that monitor kidney function and renal function just to you know, also kind of look at the progression of diabetes, right? I think that that is all I want to say about that. Um, just a few more things. Remember how we talked about um, periods of stress rising or having an impact, you know, on increasing your blood sugar. So when patients are in the hospital, uh, even if they weren't previously requiring insulin, now they might require insulin. And also, um, a lot of times insulin is the drug of choice, if you will, to monitor, or I'm sorry, to manage patient, patient's glucose in the hospital, just because some of the other medications, like for example, metformin, can interact with contrast dye. So if they think about, you know, wanting to take a patient down for a scan or something like that, they're probably going to keep them off of their oral medication while they're in the hospital and just manage their, their glucose with insulin. So that's something else to keep in mind for your patient education. And I think, I think that that is all I want to say about insulin for now. Please let me know if you have any questions and thank you so much.